Hi, this is Shauna, the CEO and founder of Fuel Talent. One of the things I have loved most in my 25-year recruiting career has always been the stories that people tell. Stories of leadership, career choices, company ideas, and team building. My inspiration for starting the What Fuels You podcast came from being curious about people's lives and wanting to help share their stories. What path brought them to this place? What decisions did they make that led to failures and successes? Who influenced those decisions and what lessons were learned along the way? I hope you enjoy the What Fuels You podcast. Today, Byron, one of Fuel Talent's senior tech recruiters, joins me to help interview Raja Mukherjee, the co-founder of ExtraHop Networks. Raja grew up in the UK and India and started learning to program at the age of just eight years old. He worked as a senior architect at F5 Networks for nearly seven years before co-founding ExtraHop in 2007. Welcome, Raja. Thank you. You're welcome. I'm so psyched to be here with you. Um, so we're going to start with quick rapid fire. Uh, Raja, favorite podcast? Uh, this one. <laughs> oh, I love you. Favorite <laughs> vacation spot? Oh, I think that would probably be the uh, that would probably be London. Oh, okay, best invention that you've ever used? Um, the best is probably the worst as well, and that it's the most distracting. It's it's my phone. Yeah, rock and roll or rap? Rock and roll. Pool or ocean? Ocean. What's a bucket list adventure that you have yet to experience? Hmm. Uh, paragliding. All right. We have to do that. Words to live by. Words to live by. If you want to find meaning in life, live it in the service of others. I love that. How does that translate for you? It almost sounds a little cliched, right? It's not about yourself. At some point, if you want to do something truly great, if you want to leave a, an impact on the world, it's got to be about how you impacted those around you. That's your legacy. And your legacy isn't written by you. It's written by other people about you. So the question really becomes, if you want to live a life of meaning, if you want to live beyond just the numbers and the daily rat race and the grind of trying to, trying to keep up with the Joneses, if you want to do something truly meaningful and impactful, then it's about making the world a better place. And I know that sounds so cliched in today's day and age. In fact, Silicon Valley even had a, this episode about making the world a, a better <laughs> place by, by improving APIs, right? And that's yeah. all nonsense. Yeah. But what it is really about is about making sure that the mark you leave outlives you and is bigger than you. And if you want to be a part of something bigger than yourself, then you have to live it in the service to others. I love that. And so I know you're doing that as a leader at ExtraHop. Um, I've heard all sorts of great things about you, and we love working with ExtraHop. Um, but how do you do it outside of work? Um, it's, it's, a, it's a mindset. It's more than simply some tactics that you follow. It's about making sure that you know, when, you're, uh, when you volunteer, it's not about the recognition that you get from volunteering as much as it is about seeing something bigger. So whether it's um, it's volunteering, whether it's playing in a band, it's not about it's not about hogging the limelight. It's about making the overall music sound better. Mm -hmm. uh, it's 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 a. Do you play in a band? I, I do. What? <laughs> what do you play? I play keyboards. For those who haven't met Raja, you just need to know our listeners that he has literally the best smile and best laugh. So my goal <laughs> is to make him laugh, and that will be easy, especially with Byron in the room because he also is uh, funny. Um, so you grew up in I, India, and also so I was born and raised in the UK. Okay, and then um, I moved to India for high school. Um, it was a sort of a social experiment of which I was the unwitting protagonist. <laughs> and uh, so we upped and moved from England to India for high school. Why did they? Why did your parents choose to do that? Um, because uh, they were convinced, and I think they were probably right to some extent, that I needed to find my roots. 
So we were we're talking about the UK in the 80s, really, and that wasn't the best place to live as a foreigner in mm. the 80s. And so, not the, a big Indian community there. Well, there was, but um, in the this might be somewhat controversial, but that was not the most um, foreigner-friendly time in 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 Britain's history, mm-hmm. if you will. Now it's it's changed vastly over the last over the last couple of decades, in fact. Mm-hmm. But uh, back then. Um, you know, immigrants were sort of the bane of Britain's existence. If you were, if you were to ask anybody over there at the time, well, I think you should thank your parents for your incredible accent, because you could <laughs> say pretty much anything, and you sound <laughs> really amazing and smart. If someone says, "Like, where are you from?" Did right. your parents succeed in kind of giving you those roots, or are you like, "I'm British"? Oh no, no. Um, so I'm. Everybody's a. Everybody is a product of the experience. So if if one were to ask where I'm from. I would answer everything from England and India to Seattle. I mean, everything's left an indelible mark on me. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm proud to be Indian. I'm proud to be English, and I'm proud to be an American. And how did you end up in Seattle? Through work. Yeah. So I actually moved to the U.S. in '96. I I finished up my education over here. I went to work for a financial services firm mm-hmm. in the Midwest. Now, as part of that, I was exposed to F5's technology, and uh, after talking with F5 for a while, I moved out over here to join the team at F5. How did ExtraHop come to be? You have a co-founder. Yes. What did you learn from your experiences working um, at your previous companies that helped shape you as a leader at ExtraHop? Certainly. So we learned a lot. Um, so first, my, my co-founder, his name is Jesse Rothstein. He's a mm. dear friend of mine, and he's somebody who um, we we worked together for many years at F5. And we uh, co-led the development teams at F5 for the development of their of their flagship product, a product called Big IP. Now, we learned many lessons, right? We learned less cultural lessons. We learned technical lessons. We learned various things, what to do and what not to do, in fact. And so um, I would say that culturally, the thing that we learned at F5 was the importance of clarity, the importance of, of, make, of, of that determination, if you will. Now, I'm not going to say we necessarily learned that, but it was reinforced greatly at F5. I keep on hearing from people. Um, I, somebody actually told me yesterday if you want to stop complaining about starting over, uh, about starting over, then stop giving up. And really, what he's, what what he's referring to is, if you stick to something, if you don't take shortcuts, if you stick to something, then you are going to succeed. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean running your head into a brick wall over and over and over again without a helmet, because that can be a little bit painful from time to time. <laughs> but what it does mean is, if you have conviction, if you are determined, and if you're going to do things the right way, you're not going to fail. So in simple terms, here's what it's about. If you want to truly understand what's happening in your environment, whatever it might be, then you need to watch the conversations. You don't, let, let's, I'll give you an analogy. You go to a doctor and you want to know exactly what's going on. And let's say uh, you walk into the doctor's office and you're, you've got a gaping head wound. Your, one of your arms is partially severed and you're limping along. And the doctor, were, if the doctor were to turn to you and say, um, okay, what seems to be the problem? Well, guess what? That's kind of the state of the, the art today. Log files are self-reported. Anything that, that requires you to actually interrogate the device or the, or, the, or the patient, if you will, to understand its health is basically not observing what's actually happening. Interesting. What we do at XTROP is we observe everything on the network, which is the same as observing a patient. And when you observe that patient, you come to conclusions and inferences as to its health, as to its security. And that's what we're fundamentally doing. And then afterwards, there's putting it, putting it in another term. The other thing what we also do is we drive action based on those insights. Um, 
Here's another analogy. Let's say you walk into a hospital. Again, I like, I'm big on medical analogies. Because your parents analogies. are doctors, right? They, they are. They've ingrained it in you. <laughs> they must be proud, let's be honest. I mean, maybe they didn't, oh, weren't a, at there, first. There's, there's, some, they... there's some stories there, I'll tell you. Well, I need to, <laughs> we need to hear those. We're all like five-year-olds when it comes down to it. Mommy and Daddy, are you proud? Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> um, so here's another analogy. Actions, or sorry, the insights and um, data without action means nothing. And here's an example. I mean, one of, one of the mistakes many analytics companies think or make is that they, they think that it's about the insights or the better data they can provide. Well, yeah, that's part of it. But fundamentally, if I give you a treasure trove of information and you don't act on it, then the, then the value is zero. Exactly. It's like going, again, hospital analogy. You go into the hospital and you walk through that MRI and the MRI says, you know what, guess what? You have stage four cancer. Good yeah. luck with that. Yeah, go do nothing now. Yeah, yeah. and you say, well, what am I supposed to do with it? And I say, hmm. Yeah. Well, that's the problem with analytics without actions. So XTROP is used not just to provide these real-time analytics that you, can got, that you can't get anywhere else mm -hmm. at tremendous scale, but it's also used to drive action on behalf of our users. So we can integrate with systems where if we detect a user behavior change or a security breach, we can shut down that attack in real-time, whether it's ransomware or that's inside amazing. of threats. I have a million business questions, but I know Byron wants to kind of dive deep into the technology. Perfect. I thought about coming from F5 to ExtraHop, mm -hmm. you really got to influence the tech stack of the company that you founded. What was the original tech stack that you built the platform in? So um, we actually built our own microkernel from, the, from day one. So basically, we realized that one of the differentiators, one of the measurable differentiators between products is performance. Now, if you take a look at, if, you, if you're not looking at performance, you, you default to something that's more qualitative. Well, what color scheme do you like better? What UI do you like better? And it's difficult to win an objective uh, competitive bake-off if you're going on subjective criteria. So we said, okay, what? this is one of those lessons that we actually learned from F5. At F5, we were always the functionality leader. We always had tremendous flexibility. But it wasn't until we started, until we led the market in both performance and uh, functionality that the company started really taking off. So at Xtrop, what we started with, we said, was we said, okay, we need to win not just on performance, but on, on and functionality, but across the entire across the entire suite. So whether it was performance of microkernel, which is why we chose uh, embedded C and a microkernel design that we that we wrote from scratch, or whether it was the UI and the workflows, we've we've always picked technologies that um, that enabled our customers to derive the maximum delight that they could from it. How how would you say that tech stack or what you've built has evolved over time? Oh, that's uh, there's been tremendous changes in the overall market since we started. Right, so when we first started, there was no. Uh, it was actually a, a brand new concept to have uh, rich internet applications. I mean, consumer type applications in an enterprise product. At that point in time, you had these antiquated HTML UIs uh, where the content was completely static and they were very ugly, or you had fat clients. And so from a UI technology perspective, when we first started, we first started with Flex and Flash. Well, as we know, Steve Jobs really put a fork in that one and roasted it. So uh, so <laughs> probably for good reason, actually. <laughs> but um, See another good laugh. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, so, but, but then we moved over to a number of other technologies, Angular and, and, and now React. So, this, so uh, the choice of technologies have changed over time, especially on the UI side. 
for the microkernel, it's remained very stable, as it should. High-performance code needs to stay stable. It needs to be high-performance. It needs to be well-controlled con- and constrained. Um, so that's the, the microkernel code is, uh, has, been, has remained uh, pretty stable, but not stagnant. And then we've, uh, we've adopted various other technologies on the back end of the database and the data store and what have you. I, I heard you mention Angular and React. And I, and I have to ask, with a, a product that's, I mean, founded with an embedded code that is proprietary, and as you mentioned, we've seen this huge shift to, to modern JavaScript frameworks. H- have you seen that affect the, the company at all in terms of the types of engineers that you're looking to recruit? Or, or how have you been able to integrate that into the workflow? It's a good question. Uh, we look for innovators. And so if you're an innovator, that, that's not, that doesn't just mean that we're looking for people to, to write code in a particular language. We're looking for people who are receptive. We're looking for people who understand the, the purpose of what they're writing. And very frankly, this is the interesting part. We want people who are passionate about technology without getting wedded to the how understanding that technology is a is a way of delivering an outcome or a, or a result to our users in an elegant artistic manner but not getting so so tied up in the technology of their choice that they tie their identity to hey I am a python programmer or I am a c programmer we hear that a lot how do you know it when you see it certainly and this I'm going to channel my co-founder here for a second he talks he talks about the spark i think everybody understands what we mean but but uh, when we talk about the spark, we're looking for somebody who didn't enter this line of work simply because it pays well or because it was a, in air quotes, an easy vocation that didn't require them to be, you know, lifting things around or what have you. Um, we look for people who would do this even if they weren't getting paid. And so one, how, how, do you set, how do you assess that? Well, one of the first questions that we've been asking people for a long time is what does your home network look like? Uh, if you've got a media center, well, did you buy that off the shelf or did you build it? Uh, what what tinkering, what, what projects do you have? What side projects do you have? What do you tinker with? What do you enjoy doing? And we can, we pick, we can pick up a, 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 we can assemble a picture quite quickly as to whether somebody has the spark or not. Do they, is this a day job for them or is it a calling? Mm. And that's, that's what we look for. That's interesting. And would you pass that question today? I I would hope I do. Well, you would because you're all those things. You've definitely got the spark, but how would you answer that question as far as your home network? Oh, yeah, it's, uh, my home network is, is a little ridiculous. The, my, my home net network has uh, several DMZs, which are demilitarized zones, which are security zones. It has uh, a number of servers. It has a little cloud farm on it as well. It has uh, it actually uh, recently set up a, a honeypot uh, chamber as well. Basically, it uh, invites people to come in and it provides a... Uh, Provides basically a, a a fake environment where they think that they've got like open serious? open databases and what have you. And it's, I sit back and I and I watch them using my XDROP systems. That's fascinating. We were talking about one of the people that we placed there that you said was doing a great job, which That's is right. also good news to hear. What makes that person the outlier, and how do you find more of them? Uh, the purpose of the of the podcast would be to give some nuggets, some takeaways for other uh, tech entrepreneurs that are trying to build a team. The people that you've placed with us, we found, have been extremely, um, extremely passionate, not just about the code and building something the right way, but of the, of the, uh, of what it means in the grand scheme of things. And so, what we talk about is uh, 
We look for people who want to make sure that their code is used, it's visible, and it's impactful, so that they know that what they're doing has meaning. Um, many people have come came to us in the early days saying, "Hey, why would I come to an to an earlier stage company rather than say a Google or a Facebook or any one of those large companies?" And the answer is pretty simple: it's because you can see the outcome of your work right there. You can see. The lives of the customers you're changing and how you're changing them. When our customers come to us and they tell us, "Guys, you have to understand, we've been hunting this thing around for, 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 for days or for weeks, and you came in, and my family thanks you because they got a good, we got a good night's sleep last night." Or when our customers come to us and they say, "Hey, you saved our organization from being breached by ransomware, or you made our patient portal safe." That's something where there's actual meaning, and every single one of our engineers can look at that and understand what role they had to play in that customer journey, and that's what gives it meaning. You should be proud. Your parents should be proud. I know that you have raised over sixty million dollars. Sixty-one point six seven, but who's counting? Oh. <laughs> and and so, who invested in that kind of seed round, and then where have you gone from there? We self-funded initially. And so Jesse and I, we、uh, in the early early days, we、uh, we bootstrapped ourselves for the first almost a year or so. We're talking like in a garage, quote unquote. Like, actually, where were、uh, you? <laughs> actually, it was the、uh, the Tullys and Magnolia. We Je- Jess and I, we we quit our cushy day jobs and we we went off and we immediately start. We sat down in in a cafe for a couple of days, and that's when we realized, look, this this cafe thing isn't going to work. So、um, literally, we we literally spent two days there before we said, okay, thank you. We got to go find、uh, office space. So we found this、uh, little loft in Fremont, in a place called the Fremont Space Building, and we were there for well, a little over a year actually. And so that's where that's where we prototyped our product. Actually, that's where that's where our VCs came in, uh, Madrona. Uh, they came in to、uh, to 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 see what we were all about. And I re- I distinctly remember we had like these two.、Um, We had these、uh, two picnic folding tables,、mm. and we put one in the sub in the room next to ours, and we called that the conference room. And in fact,、uh, just even beyond that, though, our first conference room,、uh, we needed a hands-free kit. So what we did is we we called it、uh, we called it the Prius conference room. I love it. And the Prius conference room happened to be Jesse's car. So whenever we needed to go make a conference call, that what is we'd do so is we'd, perfect. We'd go down into his car. And we'd be in the Prius, and people would ask us, "Well, what kind of conference room name scheme is this?" I was like, "Yeah, that is、Prius. so <laughs> great." I love when I hear about companies in those early days, and especially when we were doing Fuel. It slightly feels like the good old days, but today also feels really rich. How would you describe today and how you feel today versus this? The good old days? Is that the good old days? It, it's it's all a journey, and it all is so very different. My, the the job I held, if you will, at the beginning of this company. Uh, is very very different than the, the the job I I perform on a daily basis today, and you'll notice that I use the word job, because those are the tactics associated with what you know what you do to do, to deliver against your goals. But the bottom line is the mindset, the values, the cultures, the standards that you have; those should not change. It's very very important to be able to adapt that job, the tasks that you have, to to do something that that is meaningful, that gives you that gives you joy. Mm-hmm. Makes you happy,、mm-hmm. and satisfies satisfies your standards, so to speak. And so for us, yes, I mean, there are certain things I look back on, and I look at, I, I, I certainly look at them and say, "Gee, you remember those the days when we did dot dot dot? Do you remember the days when we hung up, sat in a Prius? We, we, yeah, in the Prius conference room. Do you remember those? But you know what? There's something wrong if if you can't derive that same feeling from something else you're doing. Yeah. In fact, if you're if you yearn for the good old days and you think they're gone from your company, leave your job now. That extra hops. Got offices,、uh, corporate office here in Seattle, and you've grown to an office in London and an office in Singapore. And you stressed the importance of 
really feeling like you're part of something bigger and and culture at Extra Hop, how are you going to be able to make sure that you maintain that and help everybody working for the company feel that connection? All right. So it's interesting. The um, culture has to be intentional. If you take it for granted, it's it, your culture will can can be impacted by having by by a bad hire or by an empire builder and so so you've got to be very very clear and you have to articulate what's important to you as an organization but beyond that what it boils down to are are two tenets leadership and empowerment um in terms of leadership as a leader everybody really focuses on the tactics of what they want to do and what they have to deliver but i'm going to say that the tenets of leadership are very very simple there's only three things three and three things alone Number one, simplify. Number two, steward the culture. And number three, grow your team. That's it. That's all you have to focus on. And so when you talk about connecting your people to your culture, if you're articulating it, if you're living those values, if you say, look, our customers are important to us and we will put our customers first, then that shows up in everything you do. I don't care if it's customer service or if it's engineering. If you say our customers come first, and you're willing to slip your release to make sure your existing customers are happy that's your action speaking it's not some sort of platitude around oh we love our customers and it's it's observable and it's articulated not just through words but through everything we do i like that and so at what stage did you and Jesse decide hey we need to define who we are what our values are what kind of culture we want to create and how has that changed or not changed so Here's the interesting thing. Uh, this is um it's probably not best practice, but we held off for a while before we actually codified those values. Uh, Jesse and I firmly believe in not talking the big talk, but definitely walking the big walk. So we left a lot to um uh, we we were very intentional about the culture and we live our values, but for a, for a long time in the company we didn't come out and say, "Hey, this is who we are." We've done that now. We I mean we we did it a few years back. But for I'm going to say that uh we didn't we probably didn't focus enough on articulating them up front. Those values up front even though we definitely lived them. Mhm. So it sounds like cuz knowing you personally I know that culture is really important to you. How does that play into kind of strategy which comes first, yeah. which follows which? So it's interesting. Once upon a time there were only two things in a company that really people would talk about. Strategy and tactics. and strategy were the strategy was basically formed of the big goals where you wanted to be in the marketplace and the tactics for how you got there and that was it now here's the interesting thing there's been a a vast shift whether it's through the global economy or whether it's methods of development or whether it's the the move to a subscription economy where people choose to buy rather than being forced to buy the onus has switched from the seller's market to the buyer's market and the buyer controls everything in every category in every category yeah and so what that really means for an organization is organizations today do make changes in their strategy once upon a time a strategy change was akin to a pivot and nowadays strategy changes don't mean that you that that you're throwing the baby out with the bathwater it's what's normal so what what is constant what provides that common thread between everything an organization does it has to be culture it has to be the bottom line is uh i wish i'd worked more said nobody ever on their deathbed and the bottom line is to be part of something bigger than you and i know i keep on coming back to that it's about the culture it's about understanding i mean we spend more time at work 
with co-workers than we do with our families. So when you're going about hiring and you're looking at someone that's more junior candidate versus more senior, do you see any sort of difference in mentality or fit as far as where someone is generally? This, it, this is often a polarizing question because it pits passion and drive against experience in many cases, and that's not what it's, it's, what it's supposed to do. Uh, the bottom line is it's about, it's about striking the right balance between all of them without compromise. The fact of the matter is millennials are driven by a need to make a difference, to be a part of something bigger than themselves. To, it's not just about the paycheck, or it shouldn't just be about paycheck. It should be about truly making a difference. Mm-hmm. We live in a world where social responsibility is so important. And we live also in a, in a time where things like whether it's climate change or there are things that, that are much, much larger than us. We're, we as a generation, we as a, as, as a human race are dealing with problems that have never been articulated before. And we're not going to get to where we want to get by focusing on our paychecks or how much we have in the bank. In fact, I mean, Steve Jobs, I mean, love him or hate him. One of his one of the quotes, irrespective of whether he lived by it, was, "I don't want to be the richest person in the graveyard." It's got to be about something bigger. How you live, yeah, I love that. How would your family members describe you? Is that different than how your colleagues would describe you? That's a good question. Um, I certainly don't put any effort into trying to be somebody I'm not. Um, it's it's too exhausting to to play act. How would your wife describe you? I'm so excited to meet her, by the way. <laughs> um, my wife, uh, how would she describe me? Um, I think my wife would would categorize me as as sincere and uh, and genuine. But that's how I'm sure your colleagues, your clients, you know, your employees, everybody would. I I, I hope so. And and how do you? Um, embody all of your values at home as far as um, you, the dad? The first thing I try to do, and it's a challenge, right, with, with, with the business and what have you and the, the, the pace of the business, I put a lot of focus not on work-life balance, mm-hmm. because that means compromising on both, but, but more on intentionality, of, on, on intentional presence. If I'm with my kids, I'm with my kids. I'm not checking my email so or texting. I'm going to be That's there. That's so hard. It is. That is so hard. And honestly, it's, it's, I'll be blunt. It's, it's aspirational for me because I do, I slip up. It's very difficult. Oh, but I'm uh, guilty of it also. At the same Wait time. you have kids, Byron, you'll oh. see. My, 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 my kids call me on it now, though. Oh, yeah, mine They're like, too. oh, daddy, here, here's your phone. Here, have a good time. It's like, okay. Yeah, yeah, you're like, and here's your phone. Be quiet. I'm trying to get some work done. Just kidding. So, Raja, I know that as your friend that you're very proud of, being a dad and being a friend, but you've also gotten some business recognition, Puget Sound Business Journal, 40 Under 40, and a finalist for Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year, um, which I know these things don't define you. What would you say you are most proud of? You know what? Not your wife, and not your kids. <laughs> I'm going to really push you here. No, no, that, that makes sense. Um, so, well... I'll never minimize the value of the awards. Of course, there are people who are taking the time to recognize you. And, uh, that, that's, it's always nice to be recognized. But at the same time, I'll point out that the criteria for these reward, for these awards, I mean, for me to be recognized for uh, on the PSBG 20, uh, 40 Under 40 without my team and without my co-founder, without the people who got me there, without my wife, without my friends, uh, look, nobody does this alone. Nobody does. And so from that perspective, I mean, yeah, great. Got an award. 
whoop de doo And I'm not trying to be dismissive, but the fact of the matter is that this, the, the, the award isn't about the individual. It's about the team. Mm-hmm. And, and did you, did you learn about team? through? Did you ever play sports? Um, I was a, I was pretty terrible at sports, actually. You're not a good athlete. Uh, no. Are your awful. kids athletes? Oh, they're, they're fantastic. Are they musicians? Yes. Oh, yeah, they're, thankfully. They're, they're, we got a backup plan? Uh, the, the, look, my athletic bar is so is so low that you would is trip over Is your wife it. an athlete? Yeah, she's she's a, she's a natural athlete. Yeah. But, um, yeah, for me, uh, no, no, not an athletic bone in my body. Well, we'll see about that. Ping pong? <laughs> no ping pong? Yeah, I'm pretty bad Such at ping pong. Such a cliche. <laughs> like, <laughs> Tetris. A, yeah. Good at Tetris. Are you good at Tetris, Byron? Video games were a, a huge source of confidence for me growing up, no doubt about but it. But you're also an athlete. Yeah, that ended up taking hold a little bit, a little bit more than the video games. But uh, there, it, it's where I, I definitely got to flex the competitive muscle. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'd love to understand a little bit more about. We've touched on your genuine nature and the key factor for hiring. A successful employee is their passion for um, always learning something new. And you had the opportunity to study in the UK, in India, in America, and and now I've seen that you are focused on early education and a, a way to really give back. Mm-hmm. C- can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yes. Um, so I've been passionate about uh, about education from from the very very start. My my parents. Um, they, so my my mother came from a family where they they didn't have uh, a whole lot, but her dad was incredibly passionate about sending her to the best schools ever, and she studied, and she worked very very hard, and the education opens doors. Now many people think that education is you know you check the box, you get it done, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, and you go through, and and it's the networks you build, etc. And all these things, and yes, that's part of it, but the bottom line for me is education, a good education. Um, molded my approach uh, on life, my outlook on life, gave me opportunities, exposed me to so many things, and it really ignited that passion for learning. So um, I am involved in charitable courses involving education, specifically around the um, about making sure that education is universally available. And the reason for it is because, you know, having grown up in the UK, in India, and then the US, firstly, I was exposed to vastly different methods of education. But in India in particular, this is a case where I saw so many kids who had nothing, and I really mean nothing. And they worked so hard. And uh, for what we saw is we saw cases where, I mean, the true ra- in, in true rags to riches stories where these kids didn't have the ability to even buy their own books. And cases, in certain cases, they would they would commute for hours a day to get to school and back, and they'd do their exams, and they had all these things going on. And uh, just just seeing that, and uh, I know I know I'm rambling a little bit, but this is actually something that um, you feel I, strongly about. I feel strongly, and but you weren't a, yours is not a you didn't have anything. Your parents had means; they were both doctors. Yes, and so, um, but you also have done really well with extra hops. So, how are you raising your kids differently than how you were raised? So, for me, um, and this is no indictment on my parents, but growing up in the UK and in India. It was about coming top in class. It was about making. It was about IQ over everything else. It was about making sure that you nailed those exams. And you know what? I'm a pretty good exam taker. But you know what? I've seen so many times where they, that that class topper might be absolutely brilliant. They might be a walking encyclopedia, but they don't know how to work with other people. 
They don't know. They they lack empathy. They lack social awareness. They it's about their job. It's about mm -hmm. it's about themselves. And so, for me, what I'm I'm trying to raise my kids to be socially active members of society mm -hmm. to do to to do the right things to to be a part of something bigger than themselves. And how did again. you learn all of this? Because you're one of the most empathetic people that I know. Uh, <laughs> I mean, is there moments that you that stand out to you? Yeah, look, uh, it. I wouldn't recommend this to anyone, but that. Uh, but moving from England to India and finding yourself without a social circle, without friends, and yearning for belonging, that's something that uh, that makes you take a step back and understand, and and makes you really try to understand the the nature and the meaning of connection in the first place. Mm -hmm. And so for me, moving uh, moving from the UK to India at that high school age and finding myself as an outsider mm -hmm. was something that really made me take a step back and try to find find uh, try to try to. Uh, to focus on cause rather than social group. When are you like at your best? Like, is it in front of a customer? Is it deep in the darkness coding? Is it um, hiring and closing a new candidate? Like, what are you doing when you're just like, I'm rocking Raja? Um, I'm at my happiest and I'm at my, I'm, I'm at my happiest when I'm connecting with people. And I'm not talking about throwing a party. I'm talking about making real meaningful connections, really understanding what's, What's important to people, and and mean and, and sharing something of meaning. Mm -hmm. That's when I'm at my happiness. Mm -hmm. I love that. I feel the exact same way. And especially the older I get, the more I don't have tolerance for small talk and kind of BS. I'm mm, like, let's, let's not talk about the weather yeah. today, please. <laughs> yeah, but I want um, to be enriched in some way, whether it's connection through reading or listening or another human being. I don't want to chit chat about the weather. That's right. So, Raja, thank you so much. This has been fun and enlightening and um, inspiring. I feel like I'm taking notes as a leader. I could learn a lot from you. So thank you. And I know that you're hiring a lot of people. So www.extrahop.com. Thank you for listening to the What Fuels You podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. And follow us on social media to keep up with the latest news and episodes. You can also contact us at podcast at fueltalent.com to provide feedback, ask questions, and share topics or guests you would like us to cover in the future. We hope you feel inspired by our guests and that we have helped fuel your day. Join us next time for another episode of What Fuels You.